Well, um, <clears throat> we come to the last message of the conference, and um, it's always uh, so wonderful to um, be in a place like this, gathered with so many uh, young people from so many campuses, and be under the Lord's uh, speaking and shining. And this weekend, uh, surely, it has been filled with the Lord speaking in many, in many ways. Um, I have something I would like to present to you before we get into the message. And that is something I consider very crucial for our going on, for your going on. And I want you to get the most benefit out of the Lord speaking to us this weekend. Okay? So we're going to present a few slides. Um, we can go with the first one. Okay. So, how about we all read that together? Let's go. Every time we hear a message, we should turn to what we have heard into prayer, thus digesting the Lord's word in prayer. It's just like eating. You know, you put your, uh, the food in your mouth, but that's not the end of the process. If you are going to get any benefit out of that food, it has to be digested. So, in the next few days and weeks, we will have to digest uh, the words that the Lord has spoken to us. And we do that by means of prayer. Okay, so let's go to the next one. It says, we have lost precious opportunities by not completing the cycle of the Lord's ministry. There is something called the cycle of the Lord's ministry. And this cycle is composed of three things. How about brothers? Number one, go. Isn't that the case this weekend? He has been speaking to us. All together and personally, okay? And then sisters, number two. Sisters, have you received the Lord speaking? Yes, right? Okay, all together on three. Okay, that's where the lack is, okay? Uh, we already went through one and two, but then we have to pray back to the Lord the words that he has personally spoken to us. Go to the next one. I just put that into a diagram, the cycle. You see, number one is the Lord speaking, right? And praise the Lord for the Lord speaking to us. Then number two, our receiving of that speaking, Okay. Then number three, we need to complete the cycle. And that is our praying back to him the very word that he has spoken. Okay. Uh, there are, there is, the Lord speaks a lot in, the, in a conference like this. But there are some particular points that the Lord, knowing your situation, because he's the knower of hearts, he spoke to you personally. And I hope you either highlight it, you put an asterisk, you underline, or you put a note. Because that's God speaking to you at this time. Okay? He spoke many words. But out of those many words, there are a few that he knows you, that you need. And so you need to pay attention. Don't let those words go. What we need to do is to close, complete the cycle by praying back to the Lord. Okay? Let's go to the next one. Some of us have lost years and decades, thousands of opportunities, because what? Although we have been impressed, 
moved and enlightened by messages, we have not prayed personally about them. We need to complete the cycle. Okay, then the next slide. Okay, so how about we all read that together and, and with emphasis on the prayer at the end. Okay, let's go. We can pray. Lord, show this to me. Reveal this to me. Make this real to me. Work this out in me. Let's pray that again. Lord, show this to me. Reveal this to me. Make this real to me. Work this out in me. Okay, and then the next one. Will you respond? This is a question I have for you. Will you respond? Will you complete the cycle of the Lord's ministry? Will you respond to his personal speaking in the college conference? I want you to digest that word, that personal word that the Lord spoke to you and to me. Right? So we have to respond to him by completing the cycle of the Lord's ministry. He has been faithful to speak to us. All the brothers, I'm sure you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed all the brothers sharing, right? Even the, the, the message that you got into with your groups. The Lord has been so faithful to speak to us these few days. And we, by his mercy, have come prepared as an open vessel to receive his speaking. But now we need to complete the cycle by praying back to him. And I hope, I implore you, to take a few minutes, whenever you have the chance. Don't let uh, much time go by. By Pick up the outline, okay? And pray that point that the Lord, you felt he touched you with. You pray that back to him, and so you complete the cycle, okay? Very good, thank you. Um, <clears throat> now, last message, message four, and this message is on the revelation of the church, okay? And in the Bible, there is such a thing called the great mystery, and that is Christ and the church. So in every conference, we always like to touch these two uh, you know, aspects of the revelation, Christ and the church. And so yesterday, uh, Tim began with this matter of the revelation of the church. And I would just like to emphasize a few things uh, that, that he said, and which are very, very crucial and are very much in my heart, okay? Because I know this is true. Uh, this message is about, he said, about being members of the corporate body of Christ. We are not just Christians. We are members, okay? If you are an individualistic Christian, you are missing out the supply, big time. Because as a young person, you need to know that God, who is so rich in grace, he graces us. 
But the big part of the supply of grace to us does not come to us personally, he and, uh, he and, he and Jose Luis. But actually, he does it through the members of the body. So that's why I tell you, it's a big difference between being an individual Christian and a member of the body. Don't miss this big portion of the supply of grace. Okay? Then he says, until we are connected with each other, there is no guarantee that you will go on. And that is really true. We need, in a practical way, right, in, and in our experience, to be connected. Practically and vitally connected with other members. Okay? That is actually the major part of our church life. It's not the meetings. We will see in a moment. It's not the meetings like this. It's the day-by-day -day, right, fellowship and connection with a few other members of the body of Christ with whom the sovereign God has placed you. Okay? So don't miss out on that. Then, in last night's outline, there is this point on the local church. And Tim dwell with these few verses in Colossians 4. I would like to say something about the local church. Listen to this. I'm quoting. A local church is an expression of the body of Christ in a certain locality. Right? The universal body of Christ is expressed locally. But get this. And it is composed, such local expression is composed of believers who mainly meet in small groups. That's, that's a big part of our church life, or that should be a big part of the church life. And then every church, after God's own heart, bears the stamp of one another on all its life and activity. The one another. You know, about 12 years ago, I did, uh, I was very interested in doing a re uh, searching in the New Testament of all the verses that contain this phrase, one another. You end up with about 90 verses, okay? The one another. That's the a top characteristic of the body life. The one another, right? Member life. And mutuality is the outstanding characteristic of the church life. Mutuality. If I am a member, that means I need you. I need other members for my existence, for my growth, for my going on. I do need other members. And even Tim last night, he said, yeah, to be a member is to say, I need help. Right? I need help. That's a member. I'm not the whole body. I'm just a member. Right? And my portion is important for you. You need my portion, but, I, but at the same time, I need your portion. So a member says, I need help. Okay, and that's why this outline, now let us go to uh, message five. We continue with the revelation of the church. Roman number five reads the living of the church life. Are you... Are, all with me? Page 28. Okay. Let's read letters B 
through E all together. Only the letter. Go. C. The. And E. I purposely use this phrase in almost every letter of this outline. One another. Because that's the church life. Is the one another church life. Okay? Well, <clears throat> listen to some of these one another's. I don't know if you're curious about the ones I found. I put all these verses into three, uh, 33 positive one another's that foster relationships. You can find this in the New Testament. And if you're interested in this list, I, I will be happy to email it to you. It's a table with 33 uh, one another's that foster relationships, bearing one another's burdens, being kind to one another, being subject to one another, blessing one another, caring for one another, comforting one another, forgiving one another, greeting one another, having faith in one another, praying for one another, serving one another, teaching one another. There are so many of these. And then I also found 12 negatives, one another's, that destroy relationships, destroy connectedness. Okay? Don't practice this. <laughs> Arguing with one another. Complaining against one another. Disagreeing with one another. Envying one another. Judging one another. Lying to one another. Speaking against one another. All these one another's, which are 12 of them, destroy the relationships that we have as members of the body, okay? So anyhow, if you want a copy of this list, I would be happy to email it to you. Now, um, <clears throat> let's go to the outline. And um, this is going to be a short message, okay? Uh, believe it or not, I only have like 30 minutes. <laughs> and I'm going to speak a lot of things. Okay. Um, but I'm so happy to be among you. This has been a great weekend. Okay, so happy to hear all your speaking. That was amazing, so many of you. Okay, um, let's go to these few verses, uh, the, uh, you know, on the Roman number five, the living of the church life, okay? Um, you know, when Paul has something very crucial in his heart, something that he wants to present to us in his epistles. He oftentimes repeats that in more than one epistle. And that's the case with this matter of putting on the new man. And that's why you have Colossians chapter uh, 3, right, verse 10. You, you can highlight there, put on the new man, okay. And you have also Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, and put on the new man. Maybe we can read those two verses. Brothers, verse 10, and sisters, verse, uh, Ephesians 4.24. Go, brothers.
very good. Okay, so you can see he touched this matter in both Colossians and Ephesians. Now, uh, <clears throat> we will see in a moment what is this matter of putting on the new man. I believe you need to be clear concerning this major point of the truth in the Bible. Okay? Before he gets into the putting on of the new man, there are many things to put away, to put off. Okay? And I want you to, uh, either you can write down the references, or if you have your New Testament, in Colossians 3, 5, and 8, there are a lot of things on the negative side that need to be put off. Okay? So, for instance, in verse 5, uh, put to death, therefore, your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, and so forth. Fleshly things. Then in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 3, but now you also put away all these things, wrath, anger, malice, blasphemy, and so forth. More like psychological things. So we have to put off all these things, right? But, you know, it's easy to understand that negative things need to be put away. But Paul goes further. It's not just negative things that need to be put away. But even good natural things need to be put away because in the new man, which is a corporate entity, there is no room for anything else but Christ. Okay, so in verse 9 of Colossians 3, he says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his practices. The old man. Good Natural things, all the social and cultural involvements, national identities, anything, uh, the best of culture needs to be put away. Because in verse 11, he says that in the new man, where there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. In the new man, there is only room for Christ. There, are, there is no room for the best of the American culture, the Mexican culture. There is no room for any of these things. There is only room for Christ. So, let me uh, make a little parenthesis here. You who love the Bible, when you come to a book like Ephesians, uh, where the emphasis in this book is on the church. You have to realize something. When you come to chapter 4, you know, verse 16, that says that the body builds up itself in love, the next verses, 17 through 32, that's the, that's the, the end of the chapter, okay? Verses 17 through 32. You have to read those verses with glasses of a corporate entity. If you read those verses in an, from an individualistic point of view, you're going to miss what God wants to reveal. And that applies to Ephesians 4.24. Look at your outline. It says, and put on the new man which was created according to God. You know many translations render that verse like this, and put on the new self. 
Even the one, a, a wonderful version I, I really like because it's one of the most recent essentially literal translations called ESV. ESV, Kyle, ESV renders self. <laughs> put on the new self. Other, other translations render put on the new nature. All from the individualistic point of view. Not realizing something marvelous that originally God created a corporate humanity. And this corporate humanity became not only fallen, but old. And then, through Christ's wonderful process, that corporate humanity and fallen humanity was terminated through the all-inclusive death of Christ on the cross. And God's intention is that in Christ and in resurrection, he wants to bring into practical existence, a new corporate man, a new social life, a new community life. That is God's intention. So to render a verse like Ephesians 4.24, like put on the new self, like improve yourself, is missing a big aspect of God's truth revealed in this book. This is God's intention, okay? So, God's intention is nothing less than an entirely new humanity composed of millions of millions of believers. All of them are constituted with Christ, and they are for the corporate expression of Christ in this universe. That's God's intention. To render, put on the new self, is to miss this big revelation. Okay, now, this new man is corporate. How do I know? How do you prove it is corporate? Well, look at your outline. Ephesians 2.15, abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments in ordinances that he might create the two, and in the context, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Two peoples. That's why we know the new man is corporate, because it says that he might create the two in himself into one new man. So making peace. That's why we know the new man, and that's why you can prove the new man is a corporate entity. Because it was created on the cross, right, with these two people, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man. Now, I want you to notice another thing. Look at how Colossians, verse 10 you can underline being renewed. Underline being renewed. And then look at the Ephesians. I just read that verse. Verse 15. That he might create the two in himself into one new man. Then look at the Ephesians 4.24. The new man which was created. So Ephesians talks about the new man being created. Colossians talks about the new man being renewed. Is there a contradiction? Is the new man created or is the new man renewed? Well, you know, the new man was created on the cross out of these two people. And when you were regenerated, this created new man was applied by the regenerating spirit into your human spirit right here. 
And it's at that time that we became parts of the new man. So in, in Ephesians, the new man is created, is applied by the regenerating spirit at the time of your regeneration. But then in Colossians, the new man is renewed. What does that mean? It means that although in our spirit, what, we are new, because we, now we are parts of the new man, our soul is still old and needs to be renewed. That is, the new man or the elements of the new man in your spirit need to spread from your spirit into your soul. Especially, Ephesians talks about the renewing of your mind. Right here, your mind. Do you know that many times we are virtually indistinguishable from unbelievers in our mind? Because our mind is too old. It needs to be renewed. And that's why Ephesians talks about the renewing. I mean, Colossians speaks about the renewing of the new man. So there is not a contradiction between Ephesians and Colossians. Right? The created new man was applied by the regenerating spirit right here. And then these elements of the new man needs to spread, especially into your mind, and that's the renewing. And the issue of this renewing, according to Colossians 10, is a marvelous expression of the Christ of glory in our daily living, enabling us to live a corporate church life. Okay? So, what is the church life? Because the title of this Roman is The Living of the Church Life. I want you to pay close attention. Based upon all these things that I share, okay, and the realization that this new man is, is a corporate entity, the church life is the daily living of a corporate man, the new man. Is the daily living. A living that is absolutely new in nature and in manner. This is the church life according to God's plan. We do not have the church life simply by coming together and singing and praying and giving testimonies in the meetings. The church life is the daily living of the one new man. That's the church life. So the Lord's intention today for us is not simply to gather us, right? But to cause us, to lead us, to put off the old social life of the old man and to put on the new man. That is to put on the community life of the new man. That's what he wants. Right? To put on a new community life. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the 3,000 heard Peter speaking, they said, what should we do? And Peter said, be saved from this crooked and perverted generation that is put off the old community life and put on a new community life, the life of the new man. So the new man must become our daily living. And that is the church life. I hope you see it. It is a marvelous, marvelous point. Okay? 
Now, let us go to letter A. How about we read that again? B, go. Okay, loving one another. Now, remember the first quote I read when I started. The, the church, in its local aspect, is mainly composed of brothers and sisters who meet in small groups. So every point of this outline, you have to see it and apply it mainly to that kind of situation. Not to big meetings, but to your small groups. Okay? Loving one another. Love, according to the Bible, is God himself. Love, you may say, is God's disposition. You know, when somebody has the disposition of being quick, he, that person does everything all the time, you know. Everything he or she does is quick, right? No breaks, just quick, do it. When you touch God, his disposition is love. No matter what our condition is. Even John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. The world meaning fallen man in his worst condition. When you are at the lowest point, God's disposition, disposition is unchanged. He still loves you. And in our small groups, especially in the campus, when people see that you, in that small group, two, three, four, five, you love one another, people will be attracted to you. Because that thing, such a thing, that there will be real love among fellow students on the campus is rare. In the world, love for one another is something rare. But when they see you practicing that, they are attracted to you. Okay? So, <clears throat> I want to show you the, the source of this love, okay? And that is Colossians 1.8 and Titus 3.15. How about you all read those two verses? Go. Okay, so this is, this is uh, very encouraging because we're not the source of that love. Our love is so shallow, is so temporary, right? This is agape love. This is God himself who is love. And in Colossians 1.8, it says, your love in the spirit. And according to Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. God's love is already right here in the center of your being, in your spirit. Love is there. Agape love is there. And then Titus, greet those who love us in faith. Okay, as a young person, I hope you, you, you can explain what is that phrase. What is the meaning of love us in faith? What does that mean? Love us, consider, love us in faith. Thank you, Brother Jacob, because you love me in faith. What is that? Love me in faith. Well, faith here is a subjective faith. It is the act of our believing. This faith brings us into an organic union with the triune God. So we are connected to him. He is the source. He himself is love. Right? And because I am connected to him with such a powerful faith, 
and he is the source of that love and love himself, I can love others. Hey, come Jacob, come here, come here. Let's say Jacob is not that lovable. Like most of us are not that lovable. Okay, come here. And, you know, I'm in my group with him, but if I am connected to a triune God, who is love himself, it's a piece of cake for me to love Jacob. You see? Greet those who love us in faith. That's what it says. Love us in faith. What happened, Cole, when I stop that connection with God? You know? <laughs> you can have a seat. He's the source. So by faith, we are connected to a triune God. And, you know, by love, I can minister this rich triune God into Jacob and all other fellow believers so that we can love one another, right? And be such a testimony to others. So love us, right? In faith. Okay? Now, another application of that in Colossians is right there. Colossians um, 1.4. Go ahead and read that. Go ahead. Very good. Underline your faith and underline the love. By the way, in Greek, again, that word is agape. That's not your natural love. It's God as love. Okay? Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Again, the same illustration. Your faith brings you into an organic union with the triune God. He said, I am love. Right? He's the power plant of love. And when you are connected, you love, it says, all. It doesn't say the ones you prefer. You know that our love, our natural love, when we are short of this, our love is preferential. We like just certain ones. But when you are connected, your love for all the saints. What is impossible for man is not for God. The key is, are you organically joined to him? Then we can love all the saints. Okay? I think you, you can see that in that point. And if that is the case, then we will have such a wonderful testimony to all men. Let's read all together John 13, 35. Go. Wow. Not that you know a lot of the Bible. You can genrev the Bible. You can show me God's building throughout the Bible. You can show me the divine Romans throughout the Bible. No. If we love one another, people, all, all men, will testify, oh, these must be the Lord's disciples. Okay? Then let's move on to see. Uh, go ahead and read. See? Go. Okay, question for you. Why does the Lord forgive us? What, 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 what are the reasons for his forgiveness? Okay, I'm going to give you three. There might be more, but three, I'm going to give you three, okay? Number one is obvious, because he absolves us from our debt. We are debtors. 
And so he absolves us from our debt, number one. Number two, I'm going to go to that with a story. Luke chapter 7. This is one of my favorite stories, actually, in, uh, in, in the Gospels. Okay? So here is a Pharisee whose name is Simon. And he invited the Lord Jesus for a meal. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. And in those days, it was no problem for uninvited guests to come in to the house to listen to the rabbi, to the teachers. So Jesus accepts the invitation. He comes. And there is a woman who is a <clears throat> notorious sinner in that city. Everybody knows. And she comes with an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind Jesus, she is weeping. What do, what do you think that means? It's repenting. Many sins. And so she's weeping and begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And with her hair, which represents, according to the Bible, the woman's glory, she's wiping Jesus' feet. And nonstop kissing the feet of Jesus affectionately, tenderly. And anointing the feet of Jesus with the ointment. Just consider. And Simon, the Pharisee, says to himself, Hmm, if this, one, if this man was a prophet, he will know what kind, what sort of woman is touching him because she is a sinner. So the Lord Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. There was a money lender who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Because they didn't have anything to repay, he forgave them both. Who do you think will love him more? And Simon said, I assume that the one that the Lord forgave him more, the money lender. And his, Jesus says, you have said correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me water for my feet. But she has not stopped, right? Wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But she has not stopped kissing my feet affectionately. You did not anoint my head. But she has not, but she anointed my feet with ointment. In other words, Simon the Pharisee neglected the Lord. But look at all the woman did. Then he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Because to him, because she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, 
He loves little. I have two questions for you in this story. Who are the two debtors? Simon and the woman. Another question. Who is the money lender? Jesus. Another question. What did the money lender gain out of the whole transaction? Did, was he after his money? Did he want his money back? What did the money lender gain? Love. That's why God forgives you. Because he's after you love. He wants you love. Do you have that realization? When you sin and when you repent and come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, do you realize he wants your love? And he wants to forgive you because he wants you, he wants you to love him more. I can tell you one thing. I love the Lord Jesus a lot. Why? Because I have been forgiven a lot. But to whom little is forgiven, right? He loves, he loves little. What does this mean? That forgiveness issues in love. That's what he's after. That's the second reason the Lord forgives us. He is after our love. And then number three, number third reason, remember, number one, to absolve you from your debt. Number two, to gain your love. And number three, that you partake of his nature. He is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. Every time we, we confess and he forgives, he doesn't want us to stop just, I'm cleansed now. No, he wants us to partake of his nature to empower you to forgive others. Could you believe when you come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, he uses us as an opportunity for you to partake of his nature, to enable you, to empower you, to forgive others. And you will need a lot of this in your small group because we are not a finished work. We're like a work in progress. We're not perfect. We're so different. And offenses will come. And that's when you need these three things. Okay? And no wonder Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing one another and forgiving one another, if anyone should have a complaint against anyone. How many complaints? Even as the Lord forgave you, even as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. This is how forgiveness works in God's economy. Okay, that's Colossians 3.13. Please remember this verse. The forgiving Lord, he's the forgiving Lord. He's the Christ of glory. You know who is within you? The forgiving Lord is within you. That's great news. He is right here. F for forgiving Lord is within you. He's alive and lives within us. Get this. Forgiveness is a virtue of his life. A virtue. That means for him to forgive is spontaneous. It's easy. It's my virtue. One of my virtues. Now, here it comes. When you, when I, when we take him as a life and person... And live by him. Then forgiveness becomes 
this forgiveness becomes a virtue of our life. Right here. This same virtue is just spread. Right? So, he lives within us. Forgiveness is a virtue of his life. But when we take him as a life and person and live by him, his forgiveness becomes my forgiveness. His virtue becomes my virtue. I become just like him in life and nature by this process of me taking him as life and person. It's beautiful. Okay? This is, this is wonderful. That's how forgiveness works. That's how, you can see there in this diagram, a verse like this at the end of Matthew. Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Whoa. This way, this is the process. He comes inside of us and then he wants to spread from within us. So what he is, we become. He's forgiven, we are forgiving. Therefore, it says here, right? Even as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. How? By his virtue becoming my virtue. Now, look at Matthew 18, um, 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Okay, a few questions. Who is this my brother? Who is my brother? My brother. You know, where is, where is Jacob? Where, Jacob, where are you? Jacob. Okay, can you stand, Jacob? Right there, where you are. Stand. Jacob is from Belize, right? And he's my brother. Now, Jacob, do you think, brothers and sisters, do you think I can sin against Jacob? He's my, uh, thousands of miles away in Belize, Central America. Every time I see him, he's wonderful. And we say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother. We love one another because we are so distant. <laughs> that's why, that's why he's wonderful and that's why Jose Luis is like an angel. But what happens when we get close together? When we, whoa, now we live together. We're in the same room. We share the room. We spend a lot of time together. There's a lot of frictions. <laughs> now he's not that lovable. Now he has a chance to sin against me. Right? He can pick up some things that are not his from my desk or from the refrigerator or whatever. He sins against me. That's the brother that Peter is talking about. The one in your vital group. The one that you hang out you know, together. You spend time together. That's the brother that can sin against you. But if you have this, then that's no problem. And the kingdom life, listen to this, because this chapter, Matthew 18, is on the relationships in the kingdom. The kingdom life is a life full of forgiveness. A good small group is one that is full of forgiveness. Right? Well, this is, I think this is all I can do. I have a lot of things to, 
to share, turn the page and see shepherding one another. Read verse 21, 15. Go ahead. Okay. Very good. Okay. So, here, shepherding one another. Okay. I want you just to, and I will finish with this. I want you to pay attention to who is the one that the Lord Jesus is speaking these words to? Simon Peter. What Simon Peter? What, what, what Simon Peter? There is a difference in this Simon Peter. Simon Peter was here, and Simon Peter is here now. In between, you have the cross. This Simon Peter said something like this. Listen to what he said, Matthew 26. Peter answered and said to him, if all will be stumbled because of you, I will never be stumbled. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will by no means deny you. That's the Peter before the cross. What about the Peter right here? Well, his re what is his resume? He denied the Lord three times. Right here. Right here. And then, after the Lord's resurrection, he went back to the world. I'm going fishing. And then six more says, we're going with you. So seven brothers are fishing, right? Going back to their old profession. This is the Peter right here. To the one who failed, to the one who was dealt with by the Lord, to deal with his self-confidence. Here, he's the overcomer right here. Even if all these deny you, you know, he's above. Here, he is below. He has been dealt with. Self-confidence has gone away. And now to this one, right here, whose love for the Lord has been restored, the Lord entrusts his lambs and his sheep. That's the one. So, my dear young people, I finish with this. Failures are not that bad. Failures can become your friends. Because failures will bring you here. If you and I learn to find Christ in the midst of our failures, then that will enable you to render the proper, tender, loving, all-inclusive care for others. Right? That's why older people, usually older brothers and sisters, are better in shepherding. Because more times, more experiences to fail and to be restored by the Lord. Okay? So, dear brothers and sisters, this is uh, what we can cover. I had a lot of feeling for persevering in prayer. But now, probably, we have like five minutes maybe. How about we pray two by two? Just to thank the Lord, and we will see what we can do.